that the, the, um, he says to us that the gates of hell will not prevail. We, we're on the winning side, right? That's good news for us. Well, this time the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. The rest of you will open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 21 is our text this morning. If you did not have a Bible, there should be a Bible close to you in the pew. And in our pew Bibles this morning, this passage is on page 838. 838 in the pew Bible. So I encourage you to turn there. As we gather on a Sunday morning, um, it is usually safe to assume that most of us here are followers of Jesus. That most of us, because of God's work in us, has given us life, that we've repented of our sins, we've turned to Him, and we would call ourselves followers of Jesus. But I would ask you this morning, why are you following Jesus? Why is Jesus worthy to be followed? And those kinds of questions become significant because oftentimes, if we're not careful, that we say, well, I just... I don't know why I follow Jesus. I just, I just do. Man, it's just what I've always done and really don't have a lot of thought for that. And yet, if we're recognizing and understanding what we're saying about following Jesus, we understand what He has done for us. We understand who He is. We understand what He desires of us. We need to really have a clear view of why is it that I'm going to follow Jesus? Because if I'm going to follow Jesus, it means I'm following in the steps that He is he has laid out for me. If I'm following Jesus, I'm going to walk according to His Word. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to follow Him and not my own desires. And so this morning, we're going to talk about following Jesus. And we're going to look this morning about the crowd that was following Jesus. We're going to look at how unclean spirits were responding to Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus calling 12 individuals to follow Him and to be with Him. And I want us this morning to learn and to think about, about why am I serving Jesus? Why is He worthy to be followed? And what does it look like for me to follow Jesus? So our text this morning is in Mark chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 7. So follow along as I read. It says this, that Jesus withdrew from his, with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard that all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because, the crowd, because of the crowd unless they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever an unclean spirit, when unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Verse 13 goes on, And when he had come up, on the, he came up on the mountain, and he called to him those who he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Barjonas, that is, sons of thunder." Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas and James and the son, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. As we look at our passage this morning, that, that we see in this introductory section, it tells us that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. 
Jesus, as he draws away to the disciple, all the crowds follow him. And one of the first big points we see in this first section is that the authority of Jesus over disease, because he's casting out diseases all over the place, curing all kinds of problems. And as we've read that over the past few weeks, as we've studied the book of Mark, we know that multitudes and multitudes of people were following Jesus. And as they withdraw to the sea, that seemed to be kind of a place of retreat to get away from the crowds a little bit, to get a little peace, to maybe catch their breath, uh, to get some rest and refreshment. They go to the sea, but the crowds follow them. And as we look at this, that that we're told, if we back up one verse to verse 6, that there might be another reason why they withdrew. Because it says in verse 6 of chapter 3, the Pharisees went out, this is after Jesus, he's healed a man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with Herodians against him how to destroy him. So Jesus recognizes that the, that the religious leaders are starting to mount hostility towards him. They're starting to mount a campaign of how can we destroy Jesus and as they seek to determine how can we destroy Jesus, as they're working on that, that they begin to meet with these Herodians who are these, I don't know why that light came on either. I know everybody's looking at the light. I don't know why it came on either. The rest of them are on. We're good. Okay, back to our text. Okay, I know, Lots of distractions, aren't there? Um, anyway, so what happens? So Jesus, they withdraw. One of the reasons likely was because of the hostility. That Jesus, knowing that he knows the unfolding of all the times and knowing this is not the time for him to be taken into custody. It's not time for him to go to the cross yet. So he withdraws. And as he withdraws from there, all the crowds continue to follow Jesus. And we see that this crowd, they don't let Jesus get any break. They don't give Jesus and his disciples any opportunity to get away. And the crowd just keeps coming. And the crowd comes from all over the place. They come from all over Israel. They come from beyond Israel and its borders. And and I put a map on the screen that that it's really kind of hard to see because Israel, the shape of it, is tough to see. But it lists these places. And so right now, Jesus is up in northern Israel, way up here by the Sea of Galilee. And he's way up there. And it says that people are coming from all the way down south at Idumea and Judea, Samaria, Galilee. If we went on further north, they gave, there's a region called, uh, a city called Tyre and Sidon. They're from there. They're from the Jordan River. That's right in the middle of the map. And they're coming from beyond the Jordan. So there are people coming from everywhere. All over this whole land, they're coming to follow Jesus. And so these crowds, it's not just a, just a handful of people. There are thousands, multitudes of people seeking to get close to Jesus. And verse 8 tells us, at the end of verse 8, it says, When the great crowd heard that, the great crowd heard that all he was doing, they came to him. And this crowd is coming to Jesus. This crowd is coming to Jesus because of what he's doing. They're seeing him do amazing stuff, which we get. I mean, we get that today. If, if you know that if somebody, you have a loved one who is sick, and there is somebody in Cleveland who can help you, you're going to drive to Cleveland to get help. If you have some kind of problem that the doctors, nobody here can find, you'll drive to, to Minnesota, you'll drive to wherever you need to go to to get help because you're desperate. 
and, and, and in that day, they didn't have the medical technology we have. And what word is spreading that there is a miracle worker. There is somebody who is being able to heal people. And so crowds are coming from everywhere because of what Jesus was doing. And yet, as they're coming because of Jesus because of what they have seen, they're primarily interested on, what, on his works. But, but Jesus, turn back to me, turn back with me to chapter 1, to see how Jesus handled this earlier. In chapter 1, verses 35 to 38 and 39, we see Jesus in a similar situation. It says this in verse 35 of chapter 1 in Mark, And rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So Jesus is getting away, lots of crowds are around. Verse 36, And Simon And those who were with him searched him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for this is why I came. Jesus is saying, all these miracles, all this stuff, those are all secondary. His primary purpose for coming was to teach and to preach. And to teach and to preach the message that we saw earlier, back in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says that when John was arrested, Jesus became proclaiming the gospel. And in Mark 1, 14, or verse 15, it says, And Jesus came proclaiming the gospel, saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So, as we look at what's happening, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because the king has arrived. He is the king. What do things look like in the kingdom of God whenever things, when, when God is ruling, when his will is being done, that there's not sickness and there's not disease and there's not brokenness because he's fixing all of that. And so the king has arrived and what is happening? All kinds of people are being healed. The kingdom is at hand. And yet Jesus is preaching a message of repentance because he's helping us to see that our greatest need is not a physical healing. Our greatest need is not to be rescued from a, from a relationship crisis. Our greatest need is to be forgiven of our sins. Our greatest need is to have our relationship with God restored. Because our sin builds a wall between us and God. And it builds a wall between us and God. And it begins to, to merit us God's wrath. And we deserve his punishment because of our sins. And because of that, God in his love has sent Jesus to come and to seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus has come for that purpose. And he's come and he's going to do that by preaching because people have to hear to believe. And so while healing is a big priority, the primary priority is the preaching of the word. So back over to chapter 3. So all this is going on. These crowds are, are surrounding Jesus. They're, they're focused on what he can do. And it goes on and it says, that, it says in verse 9, And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd unless they crush him. That's a lot of people. I mean, sometimes we'll hear news, on a news report about some sporting events. It's usually like soccer in another part of the world where people are just crazy about. And, and, and the crowd being so big and something happened, the people just crush in and they're people that die because they're just crushed in the middle of a crowd. That's what it seems to be they're, just, they're concerned about. All these people wanting to get so close to Jesus, they're going to crush him. And he says, get a boat ready for me. And then he says this, and he says, for he had healed 
for he had healed uh, many, so that all who had diseases pressed in on him to touch him. Everybody knows Jesus can heal, Jesus can heal, Jesus can heal. And what has to happen, that they know that they, apparently they've seen and heard that even if you can touch Jesus, you might be healed. Which we're going to see that in, in a couple chapters when we get to Matthew or Mark chapter 5. There's a lady who has this issue with blood and she's had it for a whole bunch of years. And Jesus is walking through and she reaches out, touches Jesus, and she's healed. I mean, this is supernatural power at work. This is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. And there are people apparently being healed just by touching Him. And so you think about somebody, you're desperate to have healing, and so you know that getting close to Jesus, and if you can touch Jesus, that there's some way that He could heal you, you're going to go there. And what do we see? These people crowding in on Jesus. And so the threat seems to be real, that they're concerned about Him. These people, in many ways, we would say they're just mobbing Jesus. And they're like, man, we've got to make, make a plan here. And so we see they're crushing in on him because they're seeking this healing. And so these crowds have grown, and they've grown and grown and grown, not primarily because of what they've heard, but because of what Jesus is doing. And I would propose to you, that is our first big idea I want us to see this morning, that Jesus is worthy to be followed because of what he is doing. I mean, if he is a miracle worker and truly doing miracles, that he is worthy to follow. I would, I would propose to you as well that this Jesus who is worthy to be followed because of what he is doing, if God is really working, that's going to draw a crowd. If God is really working, it's going to draw a crowd. People are going to take notice and want to see what's happening. And, and listen, I think that today that we realize that we realize God is at work. That God is, God is doing things, and the things that God is doing are not, these, are not typically these spectacular kind of healings where somebody touches somebody and they're healed. What we see God doing in His, His current manifestation of ministry is by changing hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls. They're turning them from being selfish rebels against a holy God, just trying to do their own thing, to people who love Him. He's working in that. God is saving. He desires to save people. He desires to transform marriages. He desires to transform family relationships. He, try, he seeks to transform work relationships. He wants to change everything about us. And, and, and I would ask the question, if, for you this morning, if Jesus is worthy to be followed because of what he is doing, I would ask you the question, what is he doing in your life today? Maybe a, maybe a different question related to that is, what does he want to do in your life today that maybe you're resisting? You see, we have a God who works, a supernatural God who works in really significant ways. And he wants to be at work in our lives. Listen, you, you have a marriage that's bad. He wants to work in that. He really does. And the place that he wants to start is in your heart. Committing yourself to saying, I'm going to follow Jesus and do what he has called me to in this marriage. And, and I want my spouse to get on board. I'm going to pray along that line. But I'm going to make sure that it starts with me. You may be thinking today that, you know, what's hard about what's God doing in my life? What does God want to do? Maybe that there is a, a sin that you know, nobody else knows about but you in your life, and that you are entertaining it, and you have tried to get help for it, you've tried to deal with it yourself, and you're stuck, and you're not making progress. And I would tell you, God wants to work in you. 
God wants you to surrender that to Him and to follow Him. Because we can't say that we're following Jesus and we're going a different direction. Right? I mean, that's just, that makes sense, right? I mean, if I'm walking this way and, and Hannah is walking that way, can I say, is Hannah following me? Well, obviously not. And when we're going in a different direction than God desires of us, when we're going, we're not following. And God's desire is that we would follow. And that we'd follow Him because of what He is doing. I would encourage you as well to know that this is why also I would encourage you to be sharing testimonies. Talking about what God is doing in your life. Because, because when other people, because here in this context, some guy leaves his town all the way in southern Israel, goes all the way up to the Galilee region, sees Jesus, Jesus heals him, he comes back, everybody can see it. Now, this guy no longer has this problem. He's been healed. It's clear. His, his hand, the guy with the withered hand that we looked at last week, he just comes home and his hand's no longer withered. Right? People see that. But oftentimes the things that God does in our lives aren't things that people see quite so visibly. It's harder for them to see a restored marriage, a, a freedom from a sin that had you stuck. It's, it, it's harder for him, uh, others to see the, the spiritual successes God does in our lives. And that's why we need to share testimonies. That's why we need to share with one another what God is doing because I'm confident if other people are hearing, you, you're, really, God did that in your life? Maybe he could do that in mine. Because I'm sitting here kind of hopeless and I think things are helpless and I think even why bother right now because I've tried and tried and tried but it's not made any difference. But you're a lot like me and God worked in you. He can work in me too. So we see these crowds gathering. They're following Jesus. And our point is that Jesus is worthy to be followed because of what he is doing. Well, as we continue in our passage and Jesus is traveling through, verse 11 says this, Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. As we see in this passage, the demons, when they see Jesus, they fall down. Right? And it's likely they're, they, they're possessing, they're indwelling someone else, and as they are indwelling that person, that person falls down before Jesus, which is the right position before Jesus, okay, is to be on our faces before him. But they understand his authority over them. He understands, they understand that, that these unclean spirits, the unclean spirits, as we read the Bible and the whole, unclean spirits are demons. And demons are fallen angels. As we read back early, um, the creation account that we see in the book of Job, we see in Isaiah and um, Ezekiel, that angels, there was, an angel, there was this glorious angel in heaven, his name was Satan. And as a cherub, he was in the throne room of God. And because of his rebellion and pride that showed up, God cast him out of heaven and a third of the angels followed him. And a third of those angels, those are demons. And there's a third of them, the angels, is a countless number. So there are a bunch of them. And as we understand that, that they're at work and they were at work in a really significant way when Jesus was there because they're wanting to stop all the work that Jesus is doing. And these unclean, these unclean spirits, they understand who Jesus is. Why? Because from eternity past, when God first created the angels, they saw the Son of God in the throne room of God. Because Jesus is fully God. He is the second person of the triune God who's always existed. 
And then he clothed himself with flesh, becoming a baby in a manger, growing up as Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh. So they know who he is. They've got a long experience with him. And as they're seeing this, they're seeing that they, they confess that he is the Son of God. Well, as we see the demons in this, we see that what they do is that the authority of Jesus over demons, they expose his identity. They confess that he is the Son of God. They know what they're talking about. They've seen him in all of his glory. And now they're seeing his glory veiled by the flesh that, that he has taken on to come and redeem us. And so as we recognize this, they fall down before him. They're confessing what is right and true. And here it says that they're saying, you are the son of God. That's what Mark also wants us to know. Because turn back with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. What are the demons saying? You are the son of God. How's Mark start his book? Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. What the demons are confessing is what Mark is wanting to convince us of as well, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is this Messiah who has come to take away our sins. And they're confessing what is right and true. And yet, at the end of the passage, back in chapter 3, in verse 12, it says, He strictly ordered them not to make Him known. That while the demons confess that He is the Son of God, Jesus says to them, Stay quiet. He orders them not to make him known. And we can see the reason for this. This happened earlier in our text, earlier in the book of Mark, is that they don't, these demons, Jesus doesn't need their testimony. He doesn't want to be identified with them. So he tells them, he commands them to be quiet. We also recognize that in this, that Jesus is saying that he strictly ordered them not to make him known because God has other people he wants making him known. See, God says, I don't need to, de- I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not going to use demons to make me known. I'm going to use my disciples to make me known, which is where he goes next. But before we go there, we see that in this picture that Jesus is worthy to be followed, not only because of what he is doing, but because of who he is. Jesus is the eternal son of God. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is everything the Bible tells us. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. He is the, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the great I am. He is the bread of life. He is the water of life. He is, the, is everything that we need. That's who he is. And because he is all of those things, he is worthy to be followed. And I would encourage you this morning to ask yourself, am I following Jesus? And again, am I following him? Am I going where he's going? Am I heading in the direction he wants me heading? And listen, sometimes with following Jesus, we think, well, I'm following Jesus. And I said, well, I mean, then how come you're here? I don't mean here locally, but this in terms of sometimes people in their sin and their rebellion against God, They've got a hard heart towards somebody. They're unforgiving in another area. They're angry about the world. They're, they have all this stuff going on in their heart. They're saying, but I'm following Jesus. And I said, dude, I'm, I'm like looking around. You say you're following Jesus. I'm looking where you are. I don't see him. Where is he? I mean, if you're following him, I ought to be able to see him, right? Well, he's like four blocks ahead. I'm on my way to getting there. I'm following him but just kind of on my own terms. 
my own pace when I feel like I need to and I'm getting there kind of stuff. Doesn't look like you're following. Looks like you're just kind of doing your own thing and kind of ultimately maybe want to go where Jesus goes, but you're not, you're not following him at all. I think about how, how easy it can be for us to deceive ourselves into thinking we're following Jesus when he's nowhere in sight. But he is who he says he is. He is worthy to be followed because of what he is doing. He is worthy to be followed because of who he is. It is right and good for us to know, to follow him closely. Sometimes we follow Jesus. When there was a kid, there was this little cartoon called Family Circle. And it had these kids, this parents had these kids, this one kid, and he was just in trouble a lot. But they showed this idea that, um, Mom, I'm going to the store and it shows this kid, and he's like, the house is here, and the store is here. And it shows all these dotted lines that he goes here, he climbs a tree, he does this, and it's like goes all over, you know, and it's like 45 minutes, an hour later, and he finally gets to the store. And he goes, he gets back, it's been a long time, where did he go? I was going to the store, right? I think sometimes that's how we follow Jesus. Rather than following him where he is and where he's going, we know who he is. We know what he's done. But I just want to do my thing right now. I'm just not ready. Well, the challenge for us is to be asking ourselves, am I following Jesus? Am I following Jesus because of what he is doing? Am I following Jesus because of who he is? Well, we continue in our passage. In verse 13, it says this. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also called apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. As we read this passage, what we see in this is that Jesus has authority and his authority of Jesus in calling his disciples reveals his purposes. That God has purposes. He has purposes in these disciples that Jesus is at work. And one detail that that Mark doesn't include in his gospel that Luke does, um, I want to look at that together. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 in verses 12 and 13. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, this is on page 862. I'm listening to your pages turn this morning. I was listening to a uh, sermon yesterday uh, while I'm raking leaves, and this uh, pastor, Steve Lawson, he said, said oh, I love listening to pages of Bibles turn. He said, in my imagination, that's what angels' wings sound like. I thought, that's pretty cool. Now, if you have a digital Bible, that kind of changes things, but anyway. Okay, so Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 says this. In these days he went out to a mountain to pray, And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. You see what detail Luke includes? Before Jesus selected the disciples, he spent all night in prayer. He spent all night in prayer, all night in prayer seeking the Lord, seeking God's, God's, God's guidance, seeking God's wisdom. And, and it demonstrates to us the dependence that Jesus has on the Father. Jesus would say a number of times in the book of, of John that I do nothing on my own initiative, but only what the Father calls him to. So Jesus spends all night in prayer. It also demonstrates to us the seriousness about which Jesus used to choose these 12 disciples. 
It's going to be a big deal. They're going to be with him for the next three years. Everything he's doing, they're going to be with him. And so Jesus prays all night. Well, Mark leaves out that detail. And as you turn back to Mark, the reason why it's likely that Mark did not include that detail is because in the book of Luke, Jesus is being presented as the perfect son of man. Okay? But in the book of Mark, Jesus is being presented as a what? This is a quiz. Jesus is being presented as a what in the book of Luke? Mark. Servant, right? Or serve ant. Remember our ark and the M and the ant stuff, right? So he's a servant. Now, do you care why a servant does what a servant does? Nope. All you care about is that the servant does what he does. And that's very likely why it's left out of the book of Mark is because Mark is presenting Jesus as a servant. And so it's not an important detail to know that how he came to his decision about calling these disciples. What matters is he called the disciples. And that's what Mark records. And Mark records this. And look in verse 14 what it says about him. Well, I'm sorry, back in 13. He went up on the mountain. He called those whom he desired. See, at this point, Jesus, there are a lot of people following Jesus. Lots of people around, okay? And there's a closer, there are a few he's called already to follow him, but there are lots of them. But he calls those who he desires, and they come to him. And I can't help but to see God's sovereign work in this. God calling who he desires to call, and those whom he calls, they follow him, right? And it's a beautiful picture. We hear that same kind of idea in John chapter 10, verse 27, when Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That Jesus is the shepherd and he's a shepherd here and he's calling these disciples to himself. And verse 14 says, And he appointed the twelve, he appointed twelve whom he also called or named apostles. And that word apostle, it means one sent, one who is sent. These are people that Jesus is going to, they're going to be his, his special emissaries that he is going to send into the world. And after his death and resurrection, 11 of them, plus another disciple, they are going to literally turn the world upside down. They are going to take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and the uttermost parts of the earth. God is going to use them in significant ways. And so these apostles, these ones who are sent, Jesus appoints them. He says he appoints them so that they might be with him and he might send them out. These two things, what's he going to do? He's going to be with them, and he's going to send them, and he's going to send them to do two things, to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So in this, what we see, that Jesus calls these people to be with him, which is huge. I mean, I love this picture, that Jesus calls his disciples to be with him. He doesn't call them to go to the classroom, and he's going to show up and teach. He doesn't call them to go to a conference and he's going to show up and he's going to help them understand what they need to understand. What is he calling them to? He's calling them to be with him. And so these guys are going to be with Jesus. They're going to live together, travel together, eat together, talk together, sleep together. They are going to do everything together. They're going to be with him for the next three years. And the degree of this, even when it comes to being persecuted, they're going to be with Jesus. And as we see this, now we recognize ultimately the Holy Spirit has to fall and to come upon them so that they fully follow Jesus because at one point when he's getting crucified, they desert him. But because God empowers them with the Spirit of God, they come back and they begin following him. 
And, and in that context of, of the early church being spread, persecution breaks out. And as persecution breaks out, the disciples are told, be quiet, don't share the gospel, uh, it's off limits, we don't want you communicating the gospel. And, and they are before some authorities and some different things. And turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. I want us to see a neat little detail here in Acts chapter 4. As Jesus is calling his disciples and the manner in which we calls them here in Mark, we see an expression of this showing up in the book of Acts chapter 4. This is on page 912 in the Pew Bible. So these uh, John and Peter have been arrested. They're brought before this Jewish council in this courtroom setting. And, and um, in this, they're being brought before it. And if we look back a little bit in verse 11, uh, man, there's so much here we could look at. But anyway, Peter's preaching here. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 11, he says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become a cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under and given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter's boldly preaching. Now, who's this Peter boldly preaching? What did Jesus do the night Jesus got arrested? Denied him, right? Three times to a, to a servant girl around a fire. And now where is he? He's before a court, the Jewish leaders. He's before a court, much more intimidating situation. And what does he do? He doesn't back down a bit. He doesn't back down a bit because the Holy Spirit is being poured out and fills him. And so he has this great boldness. Now listen to what happens in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and were astonished. Uneducated, they're just fishermen. Who are these guys? Who do they think they are? And it says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And it's a beautiful picture that Jesus calls us, calls these disciples to be with him. Watch Jesus calling us to do. Jesus is calling us to be with him, to know him, to love him, to live with him, to live for him, that we would, that we would be with Jesus. And we're with Jesus as we read the word of God, as we pray together, as we pray, as we spend time with the body of Christ, that we want to be with Jesus, soaking in his teaching, soaking in his word, seeking, soaking in his character, understanding all of these things so that we, because we're trusting him as our Savior, are being transformed by the whole, same Holy Spirit that is making us like Jesus that we would be people, that they would look at us and we'd see boldness and courage and godliness and all these characteristics in our lives and would, could, could confess, it's clear, they're with Jesus. That's somebody that has spent time with Jesus. And I would ask you this morning, is that the character of your life? Are you someone that others would say, it's clear they've been with Jesus? following him closely they're walking in step with him they're listening to what he's teaching they're doing what he says they're they're reflecting his character whenever things are good whenever things are bad whenever things are hard whenever things are tough that their walk is clear they've been with jesus oh i so desire that to be true of us as a church i want that in my life i want that to be true of us that we would have this fragrance of jesus that we've just been with him and others would perceive it, but not because of, not because of like we're, we're, we're not doing all these law things, but because of the love that we have for other people, the grace that we show, the forgiveness, the transformation, that we're the real deal. 
That that would be something that would be attractive and others would notice that we have been with Jesus. Well, he calls them, back to, back to our passage in Mark, he calls them to be with him. And then it says that um, with him and that he might send them out to preach. Here's the point I want you to see that, that, well, I'll put it on the screen, that Jesus calls us to be with him. He also calls us to serve him. A point that I want us to see is that our following Jesus, discipleship, life with Jesus, is first of all about a relationship, and then it is about our responsibility. It is about a relationship before it's about a task. What that means is that Jesus doesn't call us and say, hey, come to me, go serve. He says, no, come to me, be with me. And as an overflow of being with me, go serve. That our relationship with Jesus is first a relationship. It's first a relationship, then it's the task. Yes, we go. Yes, we serve. Why? Because he sends us. But we go and send, not because it's out of, out, of a, out of guilt, out of obligation, out of, well, I guess I have to do it. No, because I've been with Jesus. And now I get to go and to live like him. And to talk to others about him, that I get to go. And so they're going to send these disciples out. And they're going to send them out to preach what are they going to preach? The same message of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Same message that we need to hear. Same message that unbelievers need to hear. Repent, turn from following your own path. Turn and follow Jesus. That we would repent. But then also they're going to have authority to cast out demons. This miracle, this miraculous power, is going to be the stamp of approval on their ministry. It's going to be their credentials. Okay, John, why should we listen to you? You're some podunk fisherman from the up country of Galilee coming down here preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, preaching this message. Why in the world should we believe in you? And then he performs a few miracles. It's like, okay, we get it. Right? And so there's his credentials. And so he gives them that authority. Now, as we would fast forward to today, that we don't need to have that same kind of authority. Because our authority has been granted to us by those who preached, those who taught, those who wrote, those who confirmed the message by the miracles and gave this book to us. Now, the authority that we have does not come from the fact that we are casting out demons and you should say, well, why should I listen to you, Pastor Steve? Show me a miracle. I got a broken big toe. Come on, come up heal this morning. I said, I don't have authority to do that. All I have authority to do is to tell you what God says. And the authority that I stand and tell you what God says is what he has given to us. So this is not about listening to me. This is not about listening to the, to the, the, the person who proclaims to do big things. It is about listening to the word of God. That's where our authority rests. And so what do we do? We go, we are sent to proclaim this message. And so Jesus then sends out these 12 men. He calls them to himself and he names them all for us. And God and Jesus is going to use these people to build his church. And it's an amazing group. 12 apostles. Four fishermen. Peter and Andrew, James and John. A hated tax collector, Levi or Matthew, another member of a radical and violent political party, Simon the Zealot. So Jesus puts these four fishermen and a hated tax collector, this guy's above his political party, and then six other guys that we know almost nothing about, 
Every one of the people, when Jesus called them, they were laymen. Not one was a preacher. Not one was an expert at Scripture. But they spent time with Jesus. Because they were with Jesus, God used them. God used them to establish the church. And God used them to spread the church. And their message went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria It went on then to other parts of the earth. It spread beyond that area. It went to places like Ephesus and Galatia. It got to Rome. And this gospel that was proclaimed and lived and the work that Jesus did in dying on the cross and raising from the dead, these 12 men who started, these ordinary guys started something that it has surrounded the globe and this gospel has come to Crawfordsville, Indiana. It is an amazing reality that what happened 2,000 years ago through these 12 men who in large part on their own terms are nobodies and God has transformed the world by them. It is incredible hope and responsibility and an opportunity that we have as a church, as believers in Jesus. But we won't do this without being followers of Jesus. Our plans, our schemes, our desires are not what is going to change the world. What's going to change the world is us being with Jesus and going. With Jesus and going and speaking and letting others see what God can do in us and what God can do in others. And so we see this this morning, that that Jesus is worthy to be followed because of what he is doing. Jesus is worthy to be followed because of who he is, and Jesus is worthy to be followed because of what he wants for you. What does he want for you? Listen, today, if you are sorting out and trying to understand this, and maybe you're not there, the God, this, this whole Christianity thing you're wrestling with, I would say, what does God want for you? God wants you to follow Him because He loves you. Because He cares about you. He knows your past. He knows the arguments. He knows the things that you have fought with Him about. He knows all that, but He still wants you to follow Him. And He calls you to repent, to turn, and to trust Him. Jesus wants, what does he want of us? He wants your marriage to be better. He wants your relationship with with your family to be better. He wants to grow you. He wants to help you to learn to forgive. He wants to help you to learn to be at peace and to have contentment in a really difficult situation. He wants to grow you to reflect the character of Jesus. And the manner in which we grow to do that is by following him. Following him. Being with him. And then for us who are believers, that Jesus calls us, he calls us to go and to make disciples, that we are to know, love, and live for Jesus, and he wants us to help others to know, love, and live, live for Jesus. It's what he desires. And the challenge for us this morning is the question that we would ask ourselves, although, while Jesus is worthy to be followed for all these reasons, that's the intellectual part. The real question is, are you following Jesus? And not, and I would encourage you, maybe think right now, am I truly following Jesus in all parts of my life? My life, Or are there some, it's like, I'm going to follow him a little bit over here, but these things, I'm just going to do my own thing. That doesn't work. It's called a double-minded man. We're unstable in all of our ways. And I would invite you this morning to commit to following 
Jesus. If you're, a, if you're not a believer this morning, I would encourage you I want to, to this morning to call out and say, Jesus, I understand that I am a rebel, that I have sinned against you and that I need your help, that you love me and you've given Jesus Christ to give me new life and I'm going to turn from my sin and live for myself and I'm going to follow you because you are worthy to be followed and that you would trust Jesus today. If you're a believer this morning, I would invite you this morning too to consider how maybe you need to do some similar things or repent of not following him. And we're going to close this morning with a song. And uh, as we sing this song, I want to encourage you. Maybe today you'd say, you know what, I need to take some action. I've been wrestling with some of this and I just need to draw a line in the stand. I would say, you know what, if, if that's you today, as we sing this song, I would just invite you to come forward. And maybe you want to, want to come forward to pray. Maybe you'd want to come forward to speak to me or um, others we put you, connect you with. Or maybe you just say, you know what, I'm just, I need to do something. I'm just going to come forward and stand up front. I'm not going to do anything. Nobody needs to talk to me or whatever. This is all about what God's doing in you this morning. But I would pray that if God is working on you this morning, there's something you say, you know what, I need to follow Jesus more closely. And I know what that is in a real specific way that this morning as we sing that you would come and you would talk to God about that. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing. Father, we thank you that you are worthy to be followed. Lord, you have all authority. You, and you've sent Jesus because you love us. I pray this morning what would stir us to follow you is certainly the fact that you are worthy to be followed because of, of who you are, because of what you have done, because of what you want to do in us. But Lord, most of all, that we would follow you simply because you love us, that you first loved us, and that we would give ourselves to you. Lord, work in our hearts. Help us to love you. Help us to know you. Help us to live for you because you have first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.